Hello, listeners, and thank you so much again for joining us today on the Formula Zone One Jackass podcast. And this time, we're going to mix things up a bit. Uh, we're going to have a different sort of format. So this will be the first of three podcasts that are going to come out in this summer break. Usually, you're used to hearing from us a bit longer. So we're going to keep this one short and sweet. But um, you know, as the, the weeks of the long summer break in Formula One come by, um, we shall keep you entertained in the meantime. So joining me on this adventure, as always, is... Christopher. And yeah, so we have so much to talk about, basically. That's why we thought it would be a good idea to split it up into three parts. Uh, it was the, a race. The last race in Hungary was, I mean, so much happened. Uh, it was a crazy race, as I always say, uh, but what a great season it is. So yeah, uh, we'll take a couple of topics in each episode to go through so we don't miss anything because there is a lot to talk about and some things that have been overlooked simply because normally wouldn't be overlooked, but because of how much happened in this race, um, I think it deserves some extra attention. So yeah, hope you guys well, that enjoy. Exactly. Yeah, this is the last uh, the last race before the summer break. Mm-hmm. And I think we needed a couple of days because yeah. everything happened in this race that's you know, as a fan, as a neutral fan, you would want to see like absolutely everything. We'd have an incident, which we're going to talk about in a later episode, that has never occurred in Formula yeah. One before. Uh, so, so much has happened. But let us start with the newest company winner in Formula One history. Mm-hmm. Esteban Ocon winning for Alpine, his first company victory in Formula One. And I have to say, that drive was flawless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, No mistakes made whatsoever. Good team performance as well. Uh, The teammate was vital to this victory, and we'll elaborate on that uh, a bit later Mm -hmm. in this podcast. But let us start with the man. Let us start with Esteban Ocon. So your first thoughts on, on his first victory. Such a mature drive. Like this wouldn't seem like someone's first win. It like, yeah, it, it seems like a very experienced driver is in a midfield car and just managed to get everything right and took all the chances he, he could, but also didn't put a foot wrong, didn't risk anything, managed to maintain the gap to a four-time world champion and possibly also a, a midfield car, uh, but... Yeah, he didn't crack at all. And it was very calculated how he braked to, you know, make sure Sebastian got closer in certain parts, but then he could stretch it out later. And of course, the Alpine and the Renault engine have the advantage of being good in the straights. You could see in the Delta performance um, while while uh, Alonso was holding back Hamilton, for instance, where the Alpine actually was stronger. And that really came into hand here, even though it's a track uh, that's not suited for cars with uh, a good top speed. That's where you need to overtake. All the overtaking spots are at the end of the straight where you, you are at top speed. So, yeah, the fact that Alpine could manage that, it, it was luck, absolutely. And they've also said themselves that this is not a sign um, that the performance is going to improve massively. But it is a great victory and it was very well executed from the whole team. Yeah. Alonso as well, Ocon as well. Yeah, hats off. Amazing. So, for sure, there was a... Uh... A large part of luck involved in the victory. The front runners, of course, either being taken out or not in contention um, from the start for the victory. But this was not a lucky victory no. by no, any chance. No, no, absolutely. This was. Um, it was. It wasn't an easy victory. Uh, he was pushed for it. Mm-hmm. He executed it brilliantly. Yep. There was no mistakes. Completely faultless. Absolutely. And to have a drive like that. In any race is very difficult. We only we very rarely see 
completely faultless drives from from driver, even if they're 15 seconds, 20 seconds ahead. Um, a lapse of concentration isn't punished, but um, this time no mistakes. Yeah. And Vettel was behind him throughout the whole race. Yeah. So one single slip of one single mistake and Sebastian Vettel was ready to pounce. Kept in there. Uh, impressive performance by Sebastian Vettel. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. Uh, for, for, you know, remaining on the gearbox of Esteban Ocon pretty much throughout the whole race. Mm-hmm. And we'll analyze his race or, or Vettel's race also later in this uh, podcast. But yeah, this was not an easy victory. This was not a lucky no. victory from Esteban Ocon. He fully deserved that one. For sure. Um, For sure. He has been a, a controversial figure, in my opinion, in Formula One uh, in the past. Yeah. Um, there is beef between him and some other drivers as well. Uh, so not the most, I would say, widely known and popular figure within the paddock. But no one can deny that achievement of his first victory. Yeah. It was it was breathtakingly good. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget his F3 season uh, was really good as well. His junior career has been really impressive. And there's a reason that he's a Mercedes young driver. Toto's had his eyes on him for a while um, instead of Max Verstappen. But that's a whole other story. Very interesting, actually. But uh, yeah, no, he, he, he looked in control. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it reminded me a little bit of... Imola 2005, I just rewatched that. You know, the battle mm-hmm. with Schumacher and Alonso where yes. Schumacher was chasing. That was way more aggressive than, than this race, but that's also due to how the tyres were and strategies were back then. But a little bit similar like that where, you know, a young up-and-coming driver defending against a multiple world champion. Um, and this is even in cars that are that were not a Renault or a Ferrari of the mid-2000s, but, you know, absolute midfield, not a chance for a podium un- unless something crazy happens. That kind of car, no? And um, it also reminded me a bit of Italy last year with Gasly fending off signs uh, towards the end. That also was due to some luck or unluck, depending on how you see it, but absolutely taking the opportunity when it arises. And that was the case here as well. And we were also talking about how Hungary is usually a boring race unless it rains. And there was a tiny, tiny bit of rain. And it Man, just we made had everything so everything in this yeah. race. We had wet. We yeah. had dry. We had red flag. We had yellow flag. Safety car. Restarts. Everything that essentially just... By the end of the race, everyone was just completely knackered. I was Completely. knackered even just from watching yeah, it. Same. Because like, I come to sort of... to highlight the achievement of winning this race like this is not an easy feat by no means so yes the track is short uh but there is not a long straight where usually the drivers have a chance to catch their breath so there it's corner after corner after corner so it is very physical very grueling so we could see that uh on the podium uh at the end uh lewis hamilton obviously being very winded Mm. uh he said due to the after effects of contracting COVID-19 uh, last year. But just in general, we've seen this also in the past races. It is a very physically demanding uh, race. Yeah. Not necessarily, yeah, the track, because there are no natural resting points that other tracks would have, either with a long straight or very, very slow sequence of corners where they can catch their breath. Now, this one is just continuous yeah, uh, lap after lap. And then having to remain concentrated at all times because there's someone behind you uh, waiting for that mistake, looking to overtake. The team also had to execute their strategy completely well, uh, 
had to execute their pit stops yeah. well because that's what won them the race. Yep. Or rather, you know, later on we'll talk about it, perhaps cost the victory of another team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all I can say is hats off to Esteban Ocon, uh, a new winner in, uh, in Formula 1. And also it comes at Hungary, which... Last podcast, we've spoken about all the drivers who had their first victory at Hungary. So I yeah. thought it was quite fitting. That is actually true. I forgot that we talked about that last episode. But yeah, how fitting is that? And it's an Alpine as well. You know, it's like the Renault re- rejuvenation. I don't know what it is. But yeah, it, it, it was it was magical and so unexpected. Like, yeah, well, this season has just been great, hasn't it? Like, um, there's been a couple of boring races, but I wouldn't even call them boring like this. Yeah. And the fact, just to mention like the the physicality of the track, like it used to be a very, very slow circuit. Like the corners used to be much slower, um, but with these new cars, like it's a it's a it's a medium speed track nowadays, especially some mm-hmm. of the corners. So, in that regard, with the G forces, it's also very demanding, tire wear as well. So, yeah, the fact that he had such a experienced drive, uh, I'm still kind of surprised by it. it. It just came out of nowhere. So yeah, absolute respect to them. Yeah, we've uh, talked last podcast about well, your prediction was that he was going to get completely blown out yep. of the water by his teammate. No, well, uh, I said that so he like Alonso would outperform the car, which he did, but that Ocon would perform to the level of the car. He, that's where I was which wrong perhaps. because <laughs> he absolutely. Uh, but I mean, perhaps, the car. perhaps it is the case. Mm. Uh, of course, Ocon coming out of the um, the pit stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, in third because because um russell jumped him yep. uh, illegally uh, at the pit stops um but then did have clean air whereas alonso was always in traffic always battling mm-hmm. so i think your prediction could still hold up alonso out driving the car i'd say Ocon so. driving to the level of the car but of course having the benefit of clear air thing is yeah Ocon couldn't really outdrive the car because that would have ruined his race I think he really mm. needed to mm. manage that car yeah, and yeah. he found himself in a great spot after turn one um, and that's what he just capitalized on and did everything right whereas Alonso really needed to push to kind of keep Ham- he had to do everything to keep Hamilton behind him and that's again what also gave uh, the victory to the team you know so absolutely I think we cannot um, we cannot consider this and we can consider this a true Alpine victory. Yeah. So the, the the team of Alpine yeah, won. Absolutely. Because in my firm opinion, this victory would not have been possible without Fernando Alonso's driving. Yeah. Without him keeping Hamilton at bay for 11 laps yeah. um, before finally getting past. Small breaking error into turn one, which allowed Hamilton to slip by. Towards the end of the race, I think had it been an extra lap, he would have gotten both. Uh, Sebastian Vettel and yeah, Esteban Ocon. I think so too. It was so yeah. tight. I think by the end, he finished uh, how many seconds behind? Eventually 2.7 yeah, yeah. seconds it behind. It was crazy close. So it's just another four corners where he could have gotten them yep. uh, on the fresh tire. So his, his race, well, let's, let's start with the significance of him keeping Hamilton back uh, for the race victory. But let's actually look at that entire sequence of of laps because that was all inspiring that that gave me goosebumps that's what we remember of fernando alonso yeah. that's why they are the best in the world in the pinnacle of motorsports because 
But we've we speak we've actually spoken about Fernando Alonso a lot of times over these last couple of podcasts. Yeah. Every time we've been impressed, we've seen the fire, and now this is happening for actually significant moments in the not only the race but also the championship. Um, so his 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 driving he's always been known to be very harsh but fair. Yeah always leaving the space and that's what i saw applied today just a master class of defensing yeah. <laughs> driving but because i didn't yeah i didn't i didn't see any overly aggressive maneuvers this no. race no he, i think he was pushing hamilton was, a bit wide but i think that's fair racing in my opinion hamilton didn't like well, it we have to we have to uh, so i saw this incident so there was this uh, i think it was turn four yeah. it's a left-hand kink and um, Hamilton complained. Up on a crest. Hamilton complained that uh, he was pushed out or he was moving in the braking zone. But to me, when I saw that happening, it was the same as in Cops Corner. Like as Lewis Hamilton, he was taking too much risk being there. There was no. He was I mean, counting on yes, Alonso he wants to, to go by. Exactly, he was, He wants to go by because that would help his race. That would help his championship. But it was too much risk yeah. as the potential championship leader. Yeah. Uh, fresher tires, and yes, um, you, he did know that Alonso is in front, so there will be no silly incidents uh, that would result in crashes. But still, the onus is still on Hamilton to place himself in a. He took way too much risk, in my opinion. Yeah. So it was unnecessary, and then the fact that he complained about that is just like, well, what do you expect? You placed yourself there. Yeah. You know. I agree. I mean, Lewis is always complaining a lot on the radio. That's a lot of the drivers do that's part of the game as well i'd say but yeah no i absolutely agree that was just a overly risky thing to do unless he could be absolutely ahead going on the outside then he could have forced alonso to have to break earlier but that was not the case the um, corner the corner is just too too sharp anyways for it's yeah it's it's blind you know, it's sharp once you have the inside it's, narrow. it's like there is there is nothing to do yeah. you can't you can't take the outside all the way because you can if curve you're really, and the yeah. line there, there's the line is just way too yeah. way too again sharp. The angle yeah. just doesn't work with two cars. You just don't do it on Alonso because he's not gonna move out of yeah. the way for you. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, like we saw Alonso's driving style come back into you know get more attention at the sprint race. I have to I will say sprint race. I hate that it's not called a race. Yeah. But uh, we saw that like kind of aggressive move, how he uses the steering wheel. And this is what he brought to this race as well. Like he is back um, at his at his best, I'd say. So it's so exciting to see that he can be part of this season and that he, the fact that he came back. So I hope he'll stay for, for more than the two years that he signed on for, because I think he still got it in him. Like I, I'd say he's almost as good as he was at his absolute peak. You know what? Um, if I look at Alonso, of course, there is no question about his, his ability. Mm -hmm. um, has he lost speed? Perhaps. I mean, that's just Ooh, naturally. Yeah. As you age, not necessarily the speed, but the recovery time yeah. of, you know, in between races. I think triple headers could take their toll on his body. A young man can just recover more quickly. That's just, you know, yeah. human nature, yeah. biology. But... How he's come back, and we've mentioned this before in previous podcasts, being the elder statesman, talking to the media quite a lot about all the issues that he would previously not really talk about, yeah. even though they had to be addressed. And he's not afraid to do so. Yeah. 
So, um, or him just hugging Ocon after the race with, like he knew what important, exactly, and he was there waiting exactly. patiently. He yeah. was, this is important. You know? like, yeah. So the the Fernando Alonso of old, I would say definitely Ferrari days, mm-hmm. wouldn't have done. He would be completely pissed off True. that his teammate won the race and not him. Um, yeah. Yes, he had a good battle, but what what does it matter if you don't win? But he was genuinely thinking about the team, realizing as well um, the importance of keeping Hamilton back because he would be contention for the victory. Um, that played its part. Interesting. I don't know if you caught this bit, but um, Fernando Alonso was talking to Dutch TV and said it was important for the yep. for the victory. He's like important for the championship as well. And, and he said, "You're welcome to Max as well afterwards." Yeah, right? it so, is just. Yeah. It is just. You know, he sees the whole picture now. Yeah, and but it also proves that the old Fernando is still there on the inside, you know, the very immature, like, I want to win and I don't want Hamilton to win. He's my old rival, you know, can't have that. And the British media is now making Max out as the enemy like they did with Fernando, you Which know? is true, yeah. because we have, we've spoken about this before, so the bias yeah. in Formula One. And the fact that this came out just a couple of days ago, like, I applaud it. This is, you know, no one dares to talk about this. But it has been the case for a very long yeah. time. I remember like the ITV days where the podium ceremony got interrupted because Anthony Hamilton was being interviewed. Like, wow. Um, but this has been the case. Yeah. Everyone knows about it. Only until now has someone actually spoken no, out I about think it's, it. Yeah, like, or, yeah, I'd say it's, like it's, this. it's been there and it's, people have been talking about it in other media. But the fact that the British media is now picking it up themselves, kind of, because of the internet, I think otherwise they would have ignored it. But yeah, it, uh, I'm glad someone is highlighting it because sometimes sometimes I think the commentators, they're usually really, really good. But the TV production and everything around it and the media and the tabloids and newspapers and all this is, uh, yeah. Because at one point, they want Hamilton to win all the time. But if he doesn't win, they talk so much shit about him. Like, they're really... like. It seems like they hate their own sportsmen as much as they want to root for them. And if they don't do well, they're just going to go against them. And yeah, it's it's toxic. What can I say? Like, And I think a lot of people's opinions about Fernando Alonso um, has been shaped by the British media back then. And the reason someone like Kimi isn't like seeing like that is because he's just sim- simply Kimi, you know. You, what you see is what you get. He's not going to say something outlandish or whatever, you know. But yeah. Um, Schumacher as well, of course. Let's not forget that how he was the bad guy for the longest time in uh, British media. You know, against Damon Hill, against the Williams, against McLaren. Uh, DC was, you know, overhyped in the British media as well. Funnily enough, but um, well, I think um, this time around with, with Alonso just coming out to saying it, like he's come back for his enjoyment, yeah. much like Kimi has. Yeah, but he doesn't whereas beforehand he always kept in mind the sponsors the corporate image and stuff mm-hmm. this time he's come back he has he has nothing to prove no. to anyone uh in the recent years he's won championships in other categories so he just solidified his position of being a really damn good racing driver um and he doesn't need the money anymore he yeah he doesn't have to fit a uh a, a a, a corporate sponsor image so he can say what he wants yeah. this time and, and he does it in a the smart enjoyment way. is back is that the enjoyment is back yeah. uh so yes you can attribute it to him uh playing games he is very intelligent that is known um but at the same time 
to him, he also sees this as a good opportunity to finally talk about some issues that weren't discussed before, simply because we raised as one movement, focusing on you know diversity, focusing on the environment and such. We have uh, Sebastian Vettel being very um, outspoken towards environmental issues nowadays. We have Lewis Hamilton talking about racial inequality and things. But nonetheless, talk about the, the issues in Formula One that also have to be discussed and addressed. Yeah. So, you know, all power to him. That's actually a really good point that you mentioned, because first of all, I mean, it's amazing what Lewis has been doing the last year and a half for Formula One and Sebastian Vettel as well now, you know, being very outspoken and pro-gay rights and really like showing that um, also with environmentalism, helping around, you know, making an example of himself by cleaning up um, after the race, you know, love that stuff. All really good dad vibes, you know. Uh, but just like you said, I hadn't thought about it because we also need like a champion uh, that could talk about the issues at Formula One. And I feel like that's a thing where a lot of people are a bit scared to talk about. And rightly so, because it is a big risk to talk about your own employers, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't think Alonso is scared of that. And Kimi, of course, won't talk about this because... You know, it's Kimi. So, yeah, no, it's a, that's a good point. Um, because there are things that, like, I think the drivers should have more say in. They know more what would make exciting racing, you know. Um, like, just, just the other day, it was, um, like, talking about the sprint race. Sprint race. Race. Um, it was Alonso that came. Yeah, we should take a look at it, perhaps introduce one that qualifying on the Friday. I was just like, that makes fucking sense. Yeah. That makes fucking sense. It and it's not the whole corporate, oh yeah, there's some improvement that needs to be made, but you know, he just says what he thought. Yeah. I mean And we haven't really seen him be so open true. uh before. Uh yeah, it's 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 just refreshing to see him. Uh firstly, him coming back into Formula One with everything that's going on is just a so good to see. Yeah. Like he he's enjoying himself, the racing is excellent outside of the you know the track he's also adding value to uh this season for sure to formula one as yeah well. no and um yeah I, I wanted to say like the guy that i'm always looking forward to listening to uh, at each race weekend is now alonso you know like i feel like it's always with the other drivers it's all pr machines but with him there's gonna be some good golden nuggets in there that people should you know take to heart and, and listen to him like so yeah so Hugely significant uh, for Alpine this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what uh, what are you going to do next year in the new regulation car. Um, but then going from a two-time world champion to a four-time world champion. Yep. Let's look at Sebastian Vettel's race. So uh, going through the start uh, in okay position. And then well, his initial me, start was actually quite bad. But that's what saved him later on. That's what saved him, yeah. 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 So it's like the positioning of, of him through turn one was fortunate. Yeah. Uh, simply because he was delayed in getting to turn one yeah. because he had a bad start. Yeah. But that ended up being well. From the first, let's say, uh, safety car restart, he was, uh, I was going to, I was hoping actually for a Sebastian Vettel victory. That comeback story yeah. um, justified. He would have been disqualified, think, though. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think that Aston Martin had lost his race in the pit stop. Yes. Because his outlap, how close he was, if they didn't have that 
at least one second delay in changing the tires, he would have come out ahead. Yeah. And a clear error, I think he would have been able to pull again. Yeah, but let's not forget Alpine is a race winning team, a team, a championship winning team as well. So they, they have it sure. in them, you know, when it when 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 it comes to it, I think they, they have more experience than Racing Point, Aston Martin, you know. Um, well, Jordan is a race-winning team too. Yes, but not championship-winning. And, and how many races did... Uh, is Aston Martin? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. Yeah, of course. The Enstone yeah, team. Come on, man. The Enstone team. Yeah, it's Schumacher, Benetton, Benetton Renault, Alonso. We were just talking about it, you know. It's the same track anyway. So, yeah. But I also think... Um, I, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed in Fiddle. Like, he managed a perfect race. And, like, to be fair, had I been a team manager, I would have maybe thought it would have been good that he just kept second and kept it safely because, yeah, things can happen. Well, what I thought, what I thought, watching the race, I thought he was just playing the long game. He was just playing with it. Much like, yeah. like at what point of time, it reminded me of the, the Valentino Rossi and Setagio now battles where, you know, they allow each other to be overtaken simply because then they can see the moves and then wait until that moment and it's the last lap, two laps from the end, three laps from the end. You know it's going to come. The entire race has been built up to that point, but they're just playing with each other. And then they make the killer move and go out and drive it to the distance. Yeah. Unfortunately, so F1 is not I was not expecting like that. that. Yeah. But um, speaking of the great man, uh, he announced his uh, retirement. He's going to retire at the end of the yeah. season. So... Great man, Valentino Rossi. Um, you'll be missed. Uh, you have also, like, I'm a motorsports fan. Formula One is my love. MotoGP also excites me. Um, so, Valentino Rossi is definitely my um, my idol uh, and hero in MotoGP. I mean, he's so loved, so, isn't he? He's a very popular figure in all of motorsports. And, and apparently he was very good in the Ferrari yeah. when he tested. Yeah. Yeah, that we so, could, I think maybe we should, we should dedicate a, a part of one of our episodes to Valentino Rossi and maybe MotoGP in general because there's some things I want to discuss with you because you know more about MotoGP than I do. And there's been some controversy as well. Um, yeah, I thought that would be very interesting to actually maybe have a, have a little short episode of that at some point. We shall. Yeah. But yeah, I was expecting Vettel to sort of play with Ocon, letting know that they're there, but at that opportune moment where he's figured out his driving, perhaps force a mistake or really just pounce and take the victory. Yeah. So it was only up until, let's say, um, after the last pit stops, where the gap was just remaining stable, I thought perhaps he doesn't have that extra reserve bit. Perhaps the push isn't coming yeah and then the the Ocon victory seemed more likely up until that point I would say the last pit stop I still thought that he's going to show everyone why he's a four-time world champion sort of thing it's funny because like watching his onboard he looked like he was the rookie and Ocon was the champion um that had a, a, a worse car and was defending well against an up-and-coming rookie uh, Fettel was making mistakes but of course he has to because he has to risk a bit more to see if he can push Ocon. But it just looked like that. It, he didn't look like a four-time world champion, which I thought was very interesting how Ocon was the one kind of forcing Sebastian to to have to think a bit outside the box. And maybe that made Fettel use more tires and Ocon could just like manage that gap, you know. But you just mentioned that you thought that he was going to win the race. I actually thought Sainz was going to win the race for the longest time. Um 
yeah, and I think with a little bit of a tweak in the strategy or whatnot, or a bit more foresight, which of course you can't have, um, possibly I think Science would have been in a better position to win. But a lot of actually, it, hmm? you know, um, just going back a driver, uh, what really impressed me with Fernando Alonso's drive as well mm -hmm. is while he's keeping back Hamilton, he was still maintaining the gap to Science. Exactly. In front of him. And science was and taking advantage of that as well. That was the most yeah. impressive thing because usually if you're caught up in a battle, you lose time to the person yeah. in front of you because you're so busy defending. Yeah, but science as well at this point also had consolidated. Like it, what I mean by that is he he was get he was betting on getting that podium, that third place, and his best mm -hmm. chance was not to drive away from Alonso, but to conserve his tires a little bit hope that Alonso could keep Hamilton back as far as possible. And then towards the last two laps, if he came close, he could maybe salvage something. I think that was their plan. And that worked out because if he had tried to catch Vettel, which he wouldn't really have been able to anyway, he would have wasted his tyres so much. And we saw that Hamilton was already up in that position. So I think that was a smart move by Sainz as well. But and then it's, I agree as well. But then if you actually look at the gap, seconds, mm -hmm. You see that, yes, there was a defensive move. It's not like Sainz slowed his pace down. No. So that the gap could maintain no. the same. It was around yeah. that one, two seconds mark the whole the whole way mm -hmm. during the battle. Uh, which, yeah. But I also think Alonso wasn't driving slow. He wasn't just forcing Hamilton to stay back. He was also pushing it on, on bad tires, you know. But one thing I also... We'll get into this in another episode because this is a topic we really want to talk about and that is Latifi. And the whole reason the... Um, podium looks the way it does is because of Latifi and I think yeah. it's because of Latifi that Sainz didn't win the race um, most importantly because if Sainz we'll speak about these yes. two yes we'll come back next, to that because that's where that's, next episode yeah, that's what I really want so, to talk about so coming back to uh, Sebastian Vettel mm -hmm. I think um, shall we go to the end so the end result him being disqualified yeah I mean let's so finishing second um, taking the checkered flag and quite late in the evening did the message come through that Sebastian Vettel has been disqualified from the Hungarian Grand Prix. Yeah, we all thought because, it was because of the, the rainbow colored t-shirt and he said, just yeah. disqualify me, man, because he apparently got in some trouble there. So that, if he, that, I was kind of hoping that if he got disqualified that that was the reason so you could see the hypocrisy because it of shows, Formula it 1. Because it shows you know? exactly how fucked it is. Yeah. Uh, because the, the message was beautiful, yes. especially in Hungary, yeah. where which has just been going downhill regarding... Yeah, let's not go in that direction, but it's, it's well no, known it for us Europeans. Yeah, no, it, it has to be, be said. Absolutely. So with his shoes, I mean, the helmet's been there for a while, but everything else, it was just beautiful to see. Yeah. And it was a statement, yeah. which had to be made. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. In, the Netherlands Pride Month actually starts at the beginning of August. So happy Pride. There. Yes. So it, it was beautiful to see. And they took, you know, it, it was very pretty for the powers that be. And I think they had a chip on their shoulder because of that incident. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was thinking that, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because no matter what, if there's not enough fuel in the car, and we saw him stop in the middle of the track. And already then I knew like, oh, that, that's not too good. Um, but apparently... Yeah, but I would say like you stop in the middle of the car or in the middle of the track during the, 
the cooldown lap because you know you have to keep a liter of fuel in the but car. But he stopped so late in the lap. Like he should have yeah. stopped. If he had stopped not even yeah, half a lap been, earlier, I mean, then then he would probably have been fine, you know. So maybe they were discussing it on the radio and then it was too so little too late. So did we tell why he got disqualified yet? So um, too little the regulations late. say at the end of the race, the FIA has to be able to extract at least one liter of fuel from the car. Yeah. And they've only managed to extract 0.3 liters of yeah. fuel. And uh, because of that, Vettel got disqualified from the race. Everyone jumped the place. Uh, and uh, he was excluded from the race result. But Aston Martin has appealed, saying that there should be at least 1.44 liters of fuel in the car. And their reasoning is that nowadays you have fuel flow meters that are from the FIA that can measure the exact data. Those sensors weren't um, dysfunctioning, so they, they worked fine. According to that data that the FIA has as well, there should be 1.44 meters of fuel left in the car. Yep. They weren't able to, to extract it because of a broken fuel pump or something. So the car has been impounded sent to a laboratory in France where um, it's under FIA control. Basically, they're tipping the car sideways and just shaking it a bit to see if any droplets <laughs> will fall out because that's the last hope. But absolutely, they should appeal this if they do believe. Like, if they had appealed it and they didn't think they were in the right, that would be so stupid because, yeah, you're not going to get anywhere with that. It's going to be a waste of time. Well, they're going to, even if they're not in the right, they're still going to appeal yeah, maybe with Aston Martin, you, you never know, yeah. right? But <laughs> Yeah, but if but, the fuel is not easily accessible, it's in some pipes or in some systems or whatever, that shouldn't be the case. It should be there after the race. But one thing... No, I but if we, if we take a look at this, so yes, it's a fact. It's a regulation that at least one litre of fuel needs to be in the car at the end of the race for testing purposes. So yes, that's the reason. Rule, it's just for testing purposes. Rule, yeah. So this rule is very old. Yeah. Um, fuel um, issues have existed in Formula 1 since the beginning of time. Yeah. Like what comes to mind recently, um, uh, 1976, Ferrari versus um, McLaren, Hunt versus Lauda. Fuel issue as well. Yeah. But so this regulation has existed since the beginning of time. But I must say, in, in Aston Martin's credit and defense, Technology has caught up that, you know, we, previously there was no way to regulate, to measure the amount of fuel. There is now. It's mandatory. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. the same supplier. It's from the FIA. So the FIA would then have to say, yes, here's the data from the flow fuel meter, which is mandatory, which we install, which every team has to use. Here's the data from there. And it says one figure. But the physical act, which was very ancient, which they had to do to test the fuel and such, says this. So it doesn't matter about the extraction process. If the data says it's there, then the onus would be on the FIA yep. to extract it. But I don't even think that's the main problem here. Because I understand if this is an issue in qualifying. You'd want the car to come back into the pit lane, into Park Ferme, on its own power. So like Hamilton in 2012, when he was in pole in Spain and didn't get it because he ran out of fuel and Maldonado got the pole, makes absolute sense. 
but after the race. So in IndyCar, they apparently measure the, the fuel just before the race. That's where they get the samples. And then they measure it to check everything is okay, blah, 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 blah. After the race, what's in the tank doesn't matter. If the car can't finish the race, doesn't matter. Is it finished at the end because they miscalculated? That's the team's fault, you know? And I think that I had never actually thought about that. Like, yeah, that makes sense. After the race, it really shouldn't matter because the cars have left Park Fermi. Um, you know, there might be some checks after the race, but let the cars finish. Let them risk the last fuel they have until the car runs out. Let's see what happens. And that makes sense because I thought that they needed a liter in the fuel tank for some other purposes than testing. I thought it was just, just to see that you're not cheating, but it's literally just to see that the fuel is in order, not the amount of fuel. They just need a liter because that's an easy measurement to, to, to say you have left in the car. So yeah, let's, let's get rid of this rule. Make sure that they measure the, the fuel just before the race, maybe on the grid. I don't know. And uh, that should be it, in my opinion. Then we don't have, because the worst thing I hate about F1 is when you don't know the result after a race. So technical mm -hmm. things that I found afterwards the race, fair enough. As us as fans won't be able to see this. But things with fuel, etc. The penalties being applied after the race, I really don't like that. And it does take away from the sport. Because the sport should be, we do spend a lot of time watching Formula 1, right? Even now we have so many races in a year, it is a bit overwhelming sometimes. And the last thing you want to do is just be on the news always day after a race just to see that you didn't miss anything about the race because then that's going to make us look like idiots, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I wish they would think more about that, to be honest. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the appeal process is going to uh, happen virtually. Yeah. Uh, the date has been set, though it's not top of mind when that will happen. Yeah, I see. Uh, in my opinion... Like I, I hope he gets reinstated to the race yeah. results. It was a, it was a good race. I think um, he needs it. Yeah. Uh, Aston Martin needs it, and Formula One needs it, championship wise. But it, it, it should just be a, a crowding achievement to a, a, a good race, you know, for, uh, driven by Sebastian Vettel. Yes, he was upset not getting the victory. He was there for the taking, but at the same time. Second place in an Aston Martin is a damn good result. Absolutely. As well. I mean, you know? he's been there uh, when everyone has failed. And that doesn't seem like a Sebastian Vettel trait. But that may be his new trait when everyone else seems to be in, ish in trouble. That's where he, he pounces and capitalizes on his chances. So, yeah. No, I, I'm really stoked for the result from this race because it's, it's yeah. I think every team, uh, in a way, except for... Maybe the big ones are happy with the results. They got something out of it. And it's going to be meaningful at the end of the year when we see the championship standing. Um, so, yeah. But I think we should maybe put a cut in it from here because uh, we have so much more still to talk about. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a fourth episode with just topics from this race. Um, yeah, we just managed to talk about two teams and it's already been 40 minutes. So what do you say, Ryan? Exactly. So, plenty uh, to look forward to in our uh, next episode. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's anything you would like us to discuss, please uh, reach out to us on our Instagram or our Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, as always, we'll see you next time. Keep washing them hands. Keep washing them hands. Next, next uh, podcast, we'll talk a bit more about Latifi and maybe science, because that's what I really want to talk about. Anyway, keep washing them hands. <laughs>